Thank you. Turn with me this morning to John chapter 6, continuing a series of sermons on kind of the life of Peter in the Gospels, uh, might call it encounters that uh, Peter had with Jesus, that recorded for us in the Gospels. I hope that you've been blessed this morning by the, by the, the hymns that we sung. You know, there's usually a design to our worship. And um, uh, all of our hymns this morning have focused upon the necessity of trusting Jesus for our salvation, of giving our hearts to him, of responding in faith to the call of the gospel of God in our lives. And we come this morning to John chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 59 through 71. Let's hear God's word. These things he, that is Jesus, said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you, That no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is precious and dear to us. We love it. We are thankful for it. We pray now that your spirit would speak to us through it. That you would show us even more deeply than we've ever seen it before our need of Christ. That you draw us to him. That our hearts might be warmed because of our knowledge of him and our love for him. Would you increase that for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've said before, we are a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. We believe Jesus' words to be true when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And we believe what Peter said in Acts chapter 4 when he said there is no other name given under heaven among men 
by which we must be saved. And of course that is none other than the name of Jesus. You know there are three possible reactions when people hear the gospel. Some people reject it outright. It makes no sense to them. It appears foolish to them. And so they reject it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Some appear to respond positively to the gospel, but really don't. Oh, they believe what the Bible says. They accept it at face value. They believe perhaps that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for sins of his people, that he rose from the dead on the third day. But their faith is temporary because it's not true saving faith. They were drawn to Christ because of some allurement based upon the promises of the gospel. But they did not truly embrace Christ as their own or submit themselves to him as the Lord of their lives. And so, when hard times came, or when the reality of the demands of the gospel became more clear, they fell away. Kind of like the, in the parable of the sower of the soils, Jesus spoke of the, the rocky soil, where the plants sprung up quickly, and then in the heat of the day, they withered away. Still others respond to the gospel, of course, in genuine saving faith, true faith. Their eyes are open to see the truth of the gospel. Their hearts are uh, softened so they can receive the message of Christ. They are born again, born from above, as Jesus says. And their hearts are changed so they can indeed believe in the gospel. And they receive new direction and new purpose and new hope for their lives. They commit themselves to Jesus to live for him no matter what. Three responses to the gospel. We see each of those three responses exemplified in John chapter 6. Some rejected the gospel outright. Some appeared to believe for a while and then left while others committed their lives to Jesus in faith and obedience. We find those who rejected the gospel are outright in verses 41 and 42. If you'll back up there for just a moment. It says, when the Jews, this is verse 41, when, when the Jews, therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? And they rejected Jesus on that basis. We see the other two, or we'll see the other two uh, groups of people exemplified in our passage as we go through our text this morning. Three things I want to bring before you from our passage today. And first is, I simply want you to see the difficult teaching that Jesus gives in this chapter. John 6 is long, has 71 verses, and it is difficult. It begins with the great miracle 
of the feeding of the 5,000. And when the people saw that tremendous demonstration of the power of God, they wanted to take Jesus by force, the Bible says, and make him their king. After all, who would not want a king who could take a little boy's sack lunch of five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish and feed more than 5,000 people with it? You know, John's account of the life of Christ is more thematic than uh, the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not as time-based, but it does appear from what you see in John 6 that the teaching we're about to go over quickly took place, Jesus gave it the day after the feeding of the 5,000. And so this teaching here in John chapter 6 And if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible like I do, you have a lot of red in John chapter 6. Grew out of that great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus had performed just the day before. And he told them in verse 26, this is the next day and the people have come looking for Jesus. And we see in verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, Not because you saw signs or signs that I was the Messiah, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You see, Jesus knew their hearts. And Jesus knew their motivation in looking for him and seeking him. And then he began to contrast in John 6. Two kinds of food. Food that perishes and a food that lasts eternal life and he went on to say in verse 35 that he was that food or he was that bread that lasts to eternal life look at verse uh, 35 I am the bread of life Jesus said he who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst And, and Jesus went on to explain to the people that, that his father had sent him for a purpose. And the purpose was that his father had a people that he'd chosen from, from before the foundation of the world. And the father sent the son to save his people. And, and Jesus went on to say that of all the father has given to me, I lose none. But they should all be raised up in the last day. And Jesus made it clear, those who believe in me as the Son of God will have eternal life. And those who do not believe in me will perish in their sins. And if that wasn't hard enough, Jesus went on to say, oh, by the way, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you to me. Then Jesus gave some of the most difficult teaching that we find anywhere in the Gospels. And that's where he he talked about the necessity of of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Look at verses 53 through 56. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. 
He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now we know Jesus was not talking about physically eating his blood or eating his body or flesh and drinking his blood. But he was using a metaphor to describe the necessity of embracing his sacrificial death as the atonement for our sin. And it is symbolized for us, of course, in the Lord's Supper. Where we symbolically partake of his body and his blood to remind us that his sacrifice, the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood is the only means of salvation for us. But those who heard Jesus speak it that day in the synagogue in Capernaum were very confused by it. We find in verse 60 that they were kind of talking among themselves. Therefore, verse 60, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? You see, this whole matter of Jesus being the bread of life, about eternal life coming only through him, about the Father drawing people to himself, about eating his flesh and drinking his blood was more than they could take. And they said, this is difficult. Who can believe this? Those who had listened to Jesus thoughtfully found what he said hard to believe. Now Jesus knew what they were thinking and what they were saying. He was conscious, we're told, in verse 61, that his disciples grumbled at this, that they were stumbling over it. He said, does this cause you to stumble? And he went on to say in verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. Then the explanation is given in verse 64 that Jesus knew from the beginning who would believe and who would not. He even knew that one of his so-called disciples would betray him. I want you to notice in this passage who it was of whom Jesus said, there are some of you here who do not believe. Notice what they're called both in verse 60 and in verse 61. They're called his disciples. Now that term was used loosely sometimes. Used to refer to people who attached themselves to a teacher, for example. Paul was a disciple of of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was his teacher. And there are many people in the Gospels who are described as Jesus' disciples who were drawn to him because of the power of his miracles and, and the benefits, the tangible benefits they received from those miracles because of the fascination of his teaching. Because they knew he didn't teach like the scribes they were used to hearing. They were drawn to Jesus out of this kind of curiosity, but it, it showed nothing of their devotion or a change of life. 
And so they struggled with it. And they could not believe it. Second, I want you to see from this passage the sad result that came from that. Verse 66 is one of the most striking and emotional verses to me in the New Testament. Look what we're told there, verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. What a sad statement. Now again, notice who this was. They're described as his disciples. People who had kind of followed him around during his ministry. But these people could not have been converted. Because the Bible makes it clear that you cannot fall away if you are one who belongs to Jesus. You can't lose your salvation. Jesus had just said back in verse 39, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And then verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Then now look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And so these people who walked away could not have believed or trusted in Jesus. They were drawn to Jesus again by his miracles and the fascination of his teaching but not because their hearts had been changed. And notice what they did. It says in verse 66, they withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. They decided Jesus was not who they thought he was and it was not profitable to follow him any longer. And so they didn't. Now remember, these are the same people who just the day before had wanted to take Jesus by force and make him their king. But remember why Jesus said they wanted him or to follow him is because not because you saw signs not because you saw proof that I was the Messiah because you ate of the loaves and the fish you see they wanted the tangible benefits of following Jesus but they weren't so sure about these spiritual benefits of which he was talking that required something as odd as eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And so they withdrew and did not follow him any longer. And notice why they did it. It was as a result of this or as a result of his teaching. There was such, again, such a divergence between what they expected to hear from the Messiah and what they actually heard from Jesus. They just couldn't Embrace him as the Messiah. And because of that, they didn't stay with Jesus. They fell away, the text says, and were not walking with him any longer. Yes, it is a sad result when we see so many of those who have followed Jesus decide to go their own way. Then third, I want you to see the two important questions that we find in this text. One of those questions is asked by Jesus. And the other is asked by Peter. Now again, 
John 6, this portion of John 6, is one of the most emotional and saddest places we find in the Bible. Here Jesus is, now as we come to the end of chapter 6, here Jesus is with the twelve. Everyone else has walked away. After almost three years of ministry, after so many people have followed Jesus around Galilee, watching his miracles and hearing his teaching, He's back to where he started. And so Jesus turned to the twelve in verse 67. And he asked them this. You do not want to go away also, do you? It's almost a pitiful scene. In the midst of all these people walking away, Jesus turns to the twelve to the ones he had personally chosen. And he says, you don't want to go away from me too, do you? You don't want to be like them and leave me also, do you? You know, the reality is that Jesus' ministry was full of disappointment and rejection. He was constantly Bemused by the unbelief of the people and, and bewildered by how they so badly misunderstood his ministry. The people just could not make this itinerant preacher from Nazareth whose mother and father they knew. They could not make him be the Messiah. Couldn't get their minds around what Jesus was teaching. And here's one of the saddest places of all when here Jesus is left with the twelve and he turns to them and said, what about you? What about you? You'll be like them? Well, as usual, it was Peter who spoke up. And here again we see Peter at his best. You know, I've said in this little study of encounters that Peter had with Jesus, sometimes we see him at his worst. And his worst is pretty bad. But sometimes we see Peter at his best. Remember Matthew chapter 16? Jesus says, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We find him saying here in John 6 reminds me of that. Peter begins with a question. In six, verse 68, Jesus just said, are you, going to, are you going to leave me too? And Peter asked this, Lord, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You know, Peter missed the point sometimes. But he had enough sense to know that Jesus was their only hope. For them, the disciples, the twelve, it was either Jesus or nothing. They had invested their lives in him and his ministry. They had believed him. They had trusted him. And if he turned out to be a fraud, they were done. There was no one else to whom they could turn. And then Peter went on to say, 
into verse 68, into verse 69. You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, Peter was able to see things others could not see so we could believe what others were unable to believe. Peter knew that Jesus had the key to eternal life. And he knew not just that he was the son of the living God as he said in Matthew 16 but here he says you are we've come to believe and know you are the Holy One of God. Now think about that for a moment. You are the Holy One of God. That's quite a testimony. Holiness has to do with character doesn't it? And these 12 had spent the last better part of three years in close proximity with Jesus. Knew him better than anybody. I know you spouses, you know each other better than anyone else does. Some things you just can't hide. These 12 had been like that with Jesus for three years and Peter says look we've come to know there's something different about you we've come to know that you are the holy one of God and we don't have any other place to go but you but you know Peter wasn't speaking for all twelve there was one of them who had not believed. Oh, he had seen Jesus. He had heard Jesus. He had followed Jesus. He was called a disciple of Jesus. But his heart was not with Jesus. He's the one that Jesus calls in verse 70, a devil. Did I not myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. And there he's referring to Judas. The one we know is Judas Iscariot, who was going to betray him. There have always been that mixture of wheat and tares in the people of God. Always been those who appeared on the outside to be a, a part of the people of God, when in reality they were not. From all appearance, they seemed to be a part of those that Jesus describes here and of whom Peter says look we don't have any place else to go we know you are the Holy One of God Judas seemed to be in that number but Judas proved not to be he didn't believe like Peter believed wasn't as committed as Peter was you see Judas didn't consider the consequences of Peter's important question if not Jesus then who and that really is the heart of what Peter is asking here Lord to whom shall we go if you're not the Messiah if you're not the Redeemer if you're not the Savior then who is if you're not the Holy One of God for whom should we look if you're not the Redeemer of God's elect then who is Lord, to whom shall we go? We've come to know and to believe that you are the Holy One of God. You have the words 
of eternal life. That question that Peter asked is still important today, isn't it? To whom shall we go? Who has the words of eternal life other than the Lord Jesus Christ? No one. You know, even though we live in a pluralistic society that recoils at the idea of such a singular path to glory, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Remember where I started? Jesus said, I am the way. Didn't say there are many ways. I am the way truth and the life. No one. No one. Not even Judas. No one comes to the Father but through me. Again, what did Peter say? Peter said, there is no other name. Not one. Given under heaven among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. There is a singular path. We sang this morning, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Wonderful, merciful Savior. The room conclude by saying, my faith has found a resting place. Not in device or creed. I trust the ever living one. For me, his wounds shall bleed. You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And so thank you so much for the words of Jesus and his servant Peter to teach us so much about salvation. And this morning, teach us so much about the importance of trusting in Jesus alone as the means of eternal life. Thank you that our faith has found a resting place. In Jesus' name, amen.